and welcome to today's episode of In Fellowship, the podcast where we explore community building through a chapter-by-chapter read of The Lord of the Rings. My name is Anna. And my name is Ellen. And in today's episode, we are discussing Book 3, Chapter 3, The Urukai, discussing rivalry in community. So... This episode, this chapter, if you will, I feel like we finally got to see some new heroes emerge in Pippin mm-hmm. and Mary. They've been periphery, now they're up front and center. Mm-hmm. My question for you is, if you were to sort these two heroes into a Hogwarts house, mm. which one would you sort and where? I assume Pippin is Hufflepuff. Mm. Because I associate Hufflepuffs with um, snacks because mm-hmm. their house is right next to the kitchen. Right. Even though he does, of course, as, as all of us do, contain multitudes and so uh, is not exclusively clever more than he is brave, more than he is a good friend. Mm-hmm. But I do think he strikes me as someone who is mostly a good friend, mm-hmm. sometimes in fair weather, and that that would probably be the best place for him. As far as Mary goes, I could see Mary kind of skirting more towards like a Gryffindor, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Mary seems a bit a bit braver, a bit savvier, but I think ultimately is very loyal. Clearly, both of them are for selecting a very challenging journey to participate in. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what stuck out to me. What do you think? Are all hobbits just Hufflepuffs then, if we're going by? <laughs> by snacks alone? Love of by snacks alone, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, I think Pippin would be Gryffindor because mm-hmm. I feel like we see him act in ways that are brave here without like truly thinking it through a little bit impulsive mm-hmm. which reminds me of our our boys harry and ron and then i think mary you know with all of his map knowledge shows that he mm. was working hard thinking things through while they were resting in rivendell so i think i'd put him in either ravenclaw or hufflepuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i think those are all fair not slytherin eh that's the only place we did not put them. <laughs> right. I wouldn't qualify either of them as particularly cunning. So right. Or ambitious. Uh, or ambitious. And mm-hmm. in those two regards, then, I believe Slytherin to be probably the least likely house for them. Mm-hmm. You just did not at all recognize my really good impression that I just did of, of, the, <laughs> of the hat. <laughs> it was a really good impression. Thank you. <laughs> you can do great things in Slytherin. I feel like I'm transported into the movie. <laughs> Thank you. That's um, the validation I was seeking. Ellen might be a bit of a Slytherin. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's probably <laughs> Both true. cunning and ambitious. Mm-hmm. Well, with that, would you like to tell us the story that you brought today? Um, perhaps about interhouse rivalry, but definitely somehow rivalry in community. I would love to. And I think that this is a story where we can poke a little bit of fun at me. So that Mm. is the tenor uh, I am taking with this story. I am ready to laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because I think ironically, perhaps what stuck out to me as a very, a very poignant rivalry that was in my life is also a very silly one. And I believe one that was very one sided. 
So today I will tell you the story of Anna versus a classmate in the fourth grade regarding a spelling bee. Okay, so some context. One is that I was a pretty good student. Hopefully that's not a shock to anybody. That was a core part of my identity. And I really needed to feel like I was quite smart. And so one of the ways that I did that, um, also being a pretty good reader, was that words and spelling often came really naturally to me. I really enjoyed wordplay, love Scrabble to this day. All of those things were really, really important to me. So in elementary school, we had a school-wide spelling bee, and you were put into this competition, and then if you did well, you would go to the school district spelling bee, and if you placed highly enough in the school district spelling bee, then you would go to the statewide competition. And as a quick aside, I went multiple years, I believe, to the district spelling bee, but myself nor either of our parents can remember what years I went. So I think that kind of doubles down on the silliness of this rivalry. To the rivalry itself. I was very competitive about being in the spelling bee, wanted to win, wanted to uh, do exceptionally well. And there was this other boy in my class who beat me in the first year. He was also very smart, a very good student, had kind of that like intense vibe about him where like he was going to go to an Ivy League school and you could tell at age nine, like he was that kind of smart. And so I felt very threatened by him already because um, he was kind of a better student than I was and I took that personally. So instead of like working on being a student, I was just uh, in competition with him all the time, whether he knew it or not. And that really came to a head in the spelling bee. So I think fourth grade, I went to the spelling bee, the school district spelling bee, and I did pretty well, but he placed one place higher than me. And thusly, the stage was set for next year's rivalry. I was so determined to beat this boy. And so in the fifth grade then, I believe there's another spelling bee, or maybe it was fifth and sixth grade. Again, I can't quite remember, but so desperately wanted to beat him out. And so I uh, went to the district spelling bee, I think again, and there he was doing exceptionally well. I did not do very well. Um, and I think that year he like won a bike because he won the district-wide spelling bee and thus the rivalry deepened. How dare he win this bike? I believe that bike was later stolen, not by me, but um, there was a little bit of me feeling quite smug about that reality. Yeah, are we sure it wasn't you? I would like to go back and question <laughs> those chain of events. Right. And then I think there was a, uh, a window in which I perhaps did not do very well. One of those years I ended up going to the state and losing in the first round, I think. And then there was a third year that I think I went to the district one, or maybe I just won my school spelling bee in middle school. And still, every year I watched him do well, <laughs> go to the district B, and I considered him my nemesis. And I told people this, <laughs> that he was, he and I were in this deep-seated rivalry. And again, I don't, I don't think that he knew this at all. 
But what I remember from this this interaction often was that I felt like somehow I was more deserving and that like the world just wasn't coming up Anna. It was coming up this other student. And I felt that way in classes with him. Um, like he became kind of both my pace car and also the person that I was always trying to outdo. And so this was so pervasive for however many years of my life that when we decided what the what the theme would be for this week this is the very first thought that popped into my head is me versus this other student who has forever outdone me and honestly I don't know where he is today but I do wish him well and I'm sure he's doing like exceptionally great things do you remember what words you went out on well I do remember I think the first year I lost or I placed second or third, and it was because I misspelled pertussis. Mm. P-E-R-T-U-S-S-I-S, not E-S. Pertussis is another name for like whooping a whooping cough, cough. I believe. <laughs> um, and I felt personally attacked mm-hmm. about this. And then there was a series of commercials that would appear while watching like cable TV that warned of whooping cough yes. in your the child. The horrible one I- where you're like holding the baby and then the baby's coughing. Yes. yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I, again, I felt targeted by the universe that not only <laughs> had I failed at this pseudo public level, but that also then I was being like haunted by this mistake via my television Mm. which was really a personal loss for me (laughs) yeah I'm glad you've really grown past this rivalry Mm -hmm. it's interesting to me that you chose a story where the other person doesn't know that Mm -hmm. you're in a rivalry because I guess they don't have to like you can have a one-sided rival right and I wonder drawing it into the into the chapter here and we're seeing all of these orcs with their different allegiances if Sauron does not consider Saruman a rival because mm-hmm. he's like, I'm on a different level. I am the great eye. I am better. Right. You are beneath me. Right. And then the White Tower is like, no, we're rivals. I will win. Right. Well, and I will admit, so in, th- in that specific scenario, I think that's very, it's a good parallel to, to my story in that where you're the white wizard i am the white wizard (laughs) i am like clutching at power as a nine-year-old trying to spell my little heart out Mm -hmm. and this other boy is like i don't care at all about what you are doing because i am here doing what i actually do Mm -hmm. well and winning and so i have evidence to prove that that i'm just the better speller and anna is just so desperate to have that kind of status that she really is qualifying this as much more than just a friendly competition or someone to aspire to be, but instead is really choosing to put kind of a negative spin on on this other speller. Yeah, I mean, I support you. I think you. spelling bees are not friendly. I think they're bloodthirsty. <laughs> so that this this checks out to me. I'm like, yes, we are pitting fifth grader versus fifth grader. Mm-hmm. Battle to the death on public arena. Okay, but the, all that aside, <laughs> all of that teased about uh, some of my childhood, mm-hmm. both rivalry and silliness. Um, what happened in this chapter, Ellen? 
Well, this this chapter was action-packed, and what I loved about it is that this is the first time we get a chapter that is not linear in the story. We're actually jumping back, and we're seeing things from another person's point of view, and I love it when books do that because you have those moments of the, the characters know less than you do, and you're like, oh, I know that this is going to turn out, or I know how this goes, and now I have this information, and it's just delicious. Mm-hmm. So, in this chapter, Mary and Pippin awaken in the company of an orc band. And we discover that it is multiple factions of different orcs, which Aragorn had hypothesized in the last chapter. So, we have the Northerners, who are the ones who have, like, crawled out of Moria. We have the Isengards, who are the big fighting Urukai, Ugluk. And then we have the, the orcs from Mordor. So Merry and Pippin are prisoners of these three orc bands. They've been treated really poorly and they have to run through like the entire country of Rohan because the orcs think that Merry and Pippin have the ring or something that their masters need. They've been sent to go get them and now they have to quick get them back to Isengard. As they're running, Pippin thinks to himself, you know, if anyone's following us, maybe Aragorn, he's never going to know if we're in here or not because our tiny little hobbit feet are being trampled by all of these orc feet. So Pippin, like a Gryffindor, does not think through his action and he just bolts to the left and starts running into this like softer mud out of the, the main throng of the group and drops the Lothlorien leaf. And he thinks to himself, like, nah, no one's probably ever going to see that again. But we know that that's not true and that his action did give Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli hope that they are alive. So great job, Pippin. So of these three groups, the Isengarders are the biggest, the hardiest, the strongest. They're in charge. They can run in the sun. And the other groups are getting really nervous that they're going to be killed by the Rohirrim. So they try to run away to the forest and they're like, nope, F this, we are exiting, you are now in charge. And it's funny because the Isengarders end up overtaking them. So even though they had split up and were fighting, they're now all together. And the Rohirrim, who've been chasing them this whole time, have penned them in. So it's like a big circle of all of the horses. It's nighttime. The orcs are in the middle. They were unsuccessful in reaching the forest. There's this great standoff where the Rohirrim, like, sneak up and kill some of the orcs and, like, sneak away. And it's very tense, but we know that they're waiting until sunlight to, to pounce. This other orc, Grishnak, has a pretty good idea of what secret weapon Merry and Pippin have. He thinks it's the ring, and he tries to take the ring from them by, like, kidnapping them. Luckily, as he's running away with them, he's killed by a member of the Rohirrim, but the, the rider and the horse magically do not see Merry and Pippin. As this happens, the circle contracts. Mary and Pippin are now outside of the circle, and they are able to eat some lemnus bread, have a little chat, crawl away, and make it to the forest. We end the chapter with them having seen most of the fight between the orcs and the Rohirrim from the safety of the forest. 
then they turn and go inside and don't see that in fact all of the orcs are destroyed and the Rohirrim pile and, and burn all of their fallen foes. It's a lot. Well described. Thank you. There, Because there is a lot. And I think kind of getting a sense for the space and the timing of things can be a little confusing, mm-hmm. especially trying to understand what band of orcs is motivated by what mm-hmm. and from where they come. I did find myself a couple of times through the chapter having to remind myself where each were coming from, when they split up, what did that mean? So um, that was a really helpful recap for me. Thank you. I actually found this one really helpful to listen to. I listened to it first and then I read it. Mm. And as I was rereading it, like with my eyes, not with my ears, I was like, this felt so much longer when I was listening to it, but it actually doesn't take up that many pages, but so much happens. So it's like, wait, Mm -hmm. what? Where are we? Who is this? Right. Ugluk. Right. And we're getting some of the the orc language and community or culture, which I think is kind of interesting Mm -hmm. as far as how they interact with one another and how they refer to Mm non-orcs and so that was a little bit of a a perspective shift as well trying to understand who they mean and and how they're qualifying these sort of outsiders versus the folks that that fall within this group horse boys that was my favorite (laughs) i loved that i thought that was so you know it's accurate yeah i'm like (laughs) you're not wrong right There are all of these different bands. They're fighting amongst each other. They have different alliances. They have different allegiances. There are rivalries. Mm -hmm. Where did you see examples of that theme in the chapter today? Well, I saw quite a few. Um, The the first couple that I'll focus on are a series of the same rivalry Mm -hmm. sort of Mm -hmm. happening throughout the chapter. So then we'll kind of circle back and pick out some of these other separate ones. To start off with, right, we have our orc captors of Merry and Pippin, and they're arguing about what way to take the hobbits and what should be done with them. So that starts right away on page 43, where there is, quote, there was an angry debate concerning what they were to do now, which way they were to take, and what should be done with the prisoners. So... You know, should we kill them? We don't have time for that. We shouldn't kill the halflings. They're to be brought back alive. Why do we need them? And so there's like a whole page of this argument about what what should be done with Merry and Pippin. And, and based on these allegiances, people feel differently about what should be done. But then we see two voices really emerge, Ugluk and Grishnok. So then they start to argue sort of in this first round of rivalry and competition for for leadership about the directions. Should we go west? That's what Saruman wants. The northerners are unwilling to go west. So how do we sort of get to where we need to go? And that that proceeds to be then a theme throughout the rest of the chapter. So they have another battle on page 50. Grishnak is saying, I've returned to see that the orders are carried out and the prisoners are safe. So Grishnok leaves and comes back. And Grishnok is, again, sort of returning 
Ugluk wants to battle what he calls the White Skins, which I believe he means to be the Horse Boys, aka the Rohirrim. Yes, yeah, so many nicknames. So many nicknames. The Blondies, the Beach Boys, the Nanes. Right. <laughs> There's just like we're calling them all sorts of silly names. Could be anything, and like reading it, you don't quite. I mean, there is a tone of of threatening, but when I, you picture the Urukai and the orcs from the movies, it feels a little less silly. Fight the halflings. <laughs> right. Exactly right. With his Ariana Grande yes. ponytail. Yes. Okay. So then Grishnak and Ugluk uh, want to... Ugluk wants to stay and fight. The northerners are not jazzed about that. So they run away into the forest. But he seems to be able to persuade the Isengarders, but really no one else, to stay and fight. So again, we're seeing those sort of fractious relationships who's willing to stay, why they're willing to stay. And then we kind of see this last rivalry play out between Grishnak and Ugluk, at least, on page 55. In this scenario, Pippin and Mary are trying to manipulate Grishnak into sort of separating him from the group, seeing if he can steal the ring of power that he thinks that they have. And the reason or the way that they're able to do this, I should say, is because they use Ugluk as an incentive for Grishnak to want power. He wants to be bigger and stronger and more of a leader. And Mary and Pippin are really playing to those insecurities through the manipulation and so that was kind of the last of the three rounds i would say of grishnak v ugluk i feel like that's a common villain origin story where they want something that somebody else has there's some envy there's some rivalry and then somebody Mm -hmm. comes in and they're like but i can give this for you all you need to give me is your voice right sing into the shell real quick (laughs) right but he but here we see the hobbit sort of using that to their to their favor and to to get away they're just so smart here and i'm i'm really proud of pippin for for thinking on his feet because up until now Mm -hmm. i feel like we haven't given him a lot of credit but he's shown here that credit is due right right And I thought what was interesting, too, in some of these more competitive moments, these rivalrous moments between the different orc bands, is how, and certainly, right, we should note that orcs and Urukai are never going to be, like, the model of how to be in community. But when I think about how easily they slip into dehumanizing language, so they refer to these other bands as, like, swine and pigs and all of these things that are not orcs or urukai, and that becomes, right, kind of this idea where we can treat each other poorly because I don't see you as like me. I don't recognize you as an equal. And then I think also noticing that the presence of a collective enemy can create an uneasy truce. So some of these interfightings become less prevalent when there is a shared enemy experience that they know they have to band together to do well. So I just wanted us to kind of call those two things out because I think they are themes we see in the world around us and and to recognize when we're slipping into problematic language and what the presence of maybe a collective enemy or a uniting force allows us to overlook. Once there's a bigger problem to address or somebody that we all hate more than each other, all of a right. sudden it's it's easier to band together. That's right. 
Okay, so then a couple more quick examples. One, Ellen, you had noted right away, which is sort of this implied rivalry between Saruman and Sauron. So it's a little unclear whether either of those two individuals would qualify their relationship as kind of a rivalry, or if this is the perception of their underlings, the orcs, in how they work. So I thought that was kind of an interesting call out. On page 44, Grishnok says, quote, And I, Grishnok, say this, Saruman is a fool, and a dirty, treacherous fool, but the great eye is on him. And it's just, it was kind of an interesting qualification of, of this relationship. I think they must, because I feel like whether, you know, you're a manager of a team, like two different teams at the office, the people who are reporting to you or looking up to you pick up on the energy that you're putting out. So I'm guessing mm-hmm. that they do see a rivalry there, because I don't think that the orcs would just come up with this animus on their own. Right. And they're like, nope, we've heard, we've heard what the adults are saying at home. We know how we feel about this group. And now we're here to puff out our chests and draw some lines in the sand. And I do think your point earlier about coveting power Mm -hmm. and having the person who has less power that is going to motivate them to covet more power and thus see any person with more power or someone standing in their way both as rivals and i think that's kind of the situation we're talking about here yeah definitely okay then on page 48 pippin his cleverness rivals the pace and the overbearing orcs that they're traveling with so he as you noted escapes to leave prince there is kind of that underlying rivalry throughout of pippin and mary and trying to acquire safety and security or at least an escape is in competition or rivals what the what the orcs want again as we noted then on page 50 there is a rivalry between all of the orcs and the white skins or the horse boys the Rohirrim. And so they're, they talk about that on pages 50, 51. I mean, most of the rest of the chapter. And then one other maybe rivalry that I wanted to note was the difference between Lembus versus the Orc Draught. Mm. So on page 58, Mary says, quote, Lembus does put heart into you. A more wholesome sort of feeling, too, than the heat of the orc draught. I thought that was an interesting comparison to make, that there are sort of these rivaling forces in the bodies of the hobbits, and that Lembus seems like a pure or safer way to restore energy. And then whatever the orcs are giving to them feels much more like an alcohol or something. Like, yeah, you're going to have this gross thing in your body and it produces these results, but it seems to have sort of a shorter lifespan. It seems to sap more from you. I imagine there's a wicked hangover from it. <laughs> so just wanted to kind of call those two things out. And that was the last rivalry example that I had. Yeah, that was a good comparison between those those two. Thank you for bringing mm-hmm. that to our attention. Yeah, absolutely. Any other examples that you saw that we didn't talk about? So at, at the end of the chapter, uh, when they're sort of chit-chatting and, and walking away, Mary says on page 58, quote, You seem to have been doing well, Master Took. You will get almost a chapter in old Bilbo's book if ever I get a chance to report to him. Good work. Blah, 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 blah. And then he goes, 
I shall have to brush up my toes if I am to get level with you. Indeed, Cousin Brandybook is going in front now. This is where he comes in. Mm. And then he talks about how he knows about the maps and had spent his time in Rivendell rather better than Pippin. So that was sort of a friendly rivalry, I thought, of great job so far, but now it's my turn to step ahead and take the lead and I'm going to save the day and I know that we're walking west along the Antwash. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's so benign compared to every <laughs> other part of the chapter. I'm like, is this rivalry or is it banter? Well, and I think that's an important distinction and something we can talk about, which is there is rivalry that's rooted much like my own, mm-hmm. right, with this spelling bee boy, is um, it's rooted in like a, a fear maybe a hatred, maybe an anger, you know, something that's really not generative, mm-hmm. something that often requires someone else to be torn down. It's it's very deficit-minded. And I think what what Mary and Pippin have is much more wholesome and is the kind of rivalry or competition that can be generative because the source of it is a much healthier place. Mm-hmm. And so I think those two things are a really good comparison when we think about rivalry isn't always bad, but if it's coming from a place that that starts negative, to me, then it can't be healthy because there's often, you know, again, not a recognition of a, another person's whole self. Um, it's about you having more or having less than someone as opposed to how do we build together and how can we kind of challenge each other to grow and lean into an uncomfortable space that allows us to build and to be in community together. Right. They have they have rivalry plus love. Right. That means that they can have these back and forth and have this gentle competition but still be in relationship with each other in a way like as you said is is generative and builds them up and builds up the community absolutely well with that would you like to transition into talking with tolkien i would although i have really no notable quotes so what do you well let me uh the book open over here Could you hear that? Was that good um, sound effects? I did hear that. That was, um, <laughs> I wasn't quite sure if you had bumped the helmet. <laughs> no, I got I got the book right up to the, the microphone. I was like, maybe this will be Very cool. Good. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> maybe this will be good. So I had two, and it was actually what we were just chatting about. So the first quote that like really stuck out to me was on page 57. And this is when Merry and Pippin are, they're, they're outside of the circle now. The, the horses have moved in past them. They're about to cut their ties, but they're just sitting. And they are munching on their lemnus bread. And the quote is, For a while, they ate thoughtfully, sitting in the dark, heedless of the cries and sounds of battle nearby. And I really liked the ate thoughtfully part. Because um, <laughs> I have never, I've never... I think heard that description elsewhere. That's not like a common saying, but I knew exactly what he meant and what he was getting at by that phrase. Like, yes, I have, mm-hmm. I have sat and ate thoughtfully before. I have definitely done that. Mm-hmm. To me, it just felt like it was really well described. Mm-hmm. 
And then the second quote that I have is on page 59. And this is almost at the end. And I just think this is a really nice, beautiful description as the Rohirrim are about to come in and destroy the orcs. Mm -hmm. Quote, Far over the great river and the brown lands, leagues upon gray leagues away, the dawn came, red as flame. It's visually an interesting sentence. Great River, Brown Lands, Dawn, those are all capitalized. Mm -hmm. Like the Dawn is a proper place, similar to those first two. Mm -hmm. It it was really interesting to me here how Tolkien makes, how he describes this, but also how he makes the Dawn a place far Mm -hmm. away, even though it's the sun and it's always on the horizon. Well, and even just a sentence or two later, the book says, quote, The sun's limb was lifted, an arc of fire above the margin of the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of calls to that same that same concept where you have sort of these endless fields and then a very bright burning presence mm-hmm. that both feels urgent because it's marking the passage of time and also is notable for its color and its brilliance in a space that is gray and kind of subdued or even dark and scary Mm -hmm. right it's shedding light to be able to see much more clearly so i think this is a really excellent sort of transition both from what mary and pippin have done and where they're going to go next but also kind of an interesting place in the book to start to call our attention to the landscape right this is all unfamiliar to our characters and so being able to speak about it in ways that match the tone of the chapter, I think is some really excellent writing. I also am just realizing, I was thinking about other places in the book where Tolkien talks about the dawn because he he does that quite frequently. And I'm realizing mm-hmm. in the last chapter that Legolas has that bit about the red, the, the red dawn, like blood has been mm-hmm. spilled on this night. And that's probably this dawn. Same dawn. Yeah. Right. Oh, so good. <laughs> Right. So he's like, he again, he's cueing the passage of time mm-hmm. because, as you noted, we've sort of jumped back and now are probably current mm-hmm. with what we've just seen from a very different perspective. So, again, getting some of those really key cues about not only where we are, but when, when we are. Right. So Legolas, mm-hmm. Aragorn, and Gimli are like a day behind them. So this is now the day as Pippin and Mary run into the forest. This is the day where they come up to the 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 pile look around for them Viggo Mortensen breaks Mm -hmm. his toe and then they go into the forest and see the white wizard exactly right great glad glad we're all on the same page (laughs) literally we are all on the same page (laughs) okay well with that would you please share with us your action item along today's theme so that we can all grow together in better community Absolutely. Today's action item is pretty simple. It's to be mindful of the language you use when speaking about individuals whom you're not in your in-group. So start to notice, you know, how does the media use language? What does that signify to you about someone else's humanity? And how can we be more intentional about using language to bring people in instead of mark them as outside of our community? I love that. It was recently brought to my attention 
when we use the phrase expats versus immigrants. Mm. And I thought that was such a, a good moment of like, what makes you one or the other? Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm grateful that you're bringing us this action item because there are so many instances like that where the, the language that we use to describe a group really matters. Yes, I, I will say that one of my absolute favorite and perhaps most challenging courses as far as content in college was a rhetoric course where we looked at the way that folks, largely folks of color, are described in the media and how that shapes public perception and then can sometimes shape public policies. So shout out to Dr. Kaido Lopez, who really helped me to kind of explore those themes and topics in a way that I really hadn't been asked to do before. Well, thank you for another illuminating and enjoyable discussion on today's chapter. Uh, are you ready to to dive into Treebeard next week? Oh my gosh, I'm so ready. Let's go Treebeard. <laughs> Treebeard is such a weird and delightful character who always is just a bit out of step with what's going on and I love yes, it. Yes, it's going to be great. Oh, so excited. Today's podcast was brought to you by The Hobbit Fashion of Things. Our music is by Robert Son and Simon Dom. If you have thoughts on today's episode or homework assignment, send us a voicemail or email at infellowshippodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember to take care of your community, stay hydrated, and thank you for joining us today in fellowship. from our recording um and you you can kick us kick us kick us away take us away kick it off take kick us kick it away. off kick it up kick it in let e begin time to talk about urakai it's <laughs> we'll cut that part out <laughs> will we should we that was glorious but anyway um whenever you want to start 